0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode covering the English section of the ACT. In the last episode, I went over commas and how commas are used on the ACT and some common strategies to approaching comma questions, and I hope that was helpful. In this episode, we're going to cover the rest of the punctuation that the ACT tests. So the other punctuation marks that the ACT tests are the semicolon, the colon, and the dash. Um, Also, just a reminder, at this point, if you haven't opened up the blog yet and are looking at the English 3 Other Punctuation blog post, just get that open right now. We're going to walk through that right here. So the first of the extra punctuation marks that we're going to talk about is the semicolon. So semicolons are a lot easier than commas. You might not have used them a ton before, but the rules for them are actually really simple. Just think of a semicolon as the same thing as a period. A semicolon divides two complete sentences. So in this example, it says, I walked through the soggy grass, it was a dismal, dreary day. So on either side of that semicolon, there's a complete sentence. I walked through the soggy grass, and it was a dismal, dreary day. Both of those would be totally fine by themselves, so you can put a semicolon between them to separate them, just as you would a period. So the next punctuation mark that you might be testing on is a colon, So colons don't show up a ton, and thinking about it, I actually don't think I've ever seen a question where choosing a colon was the right answer. That doesn't mean it won't happen, though, but they're pretty rare. So the rules with a colon are similar to a semicolon, but just a little bit different. So with a colon, the rule that the ACT is going to test you on is that before a colon, you need to have a complete sentence, but then after the colon... You can have any of a number of things. You could have a list of items. You could have just one word. You could have another complete sentence. So before a colon, you need a complete sentence, but after the colon, it's pretty flexible. So this example says, the sandwich was unlike any I had ever seen. Cheesy, juicy, fragrant, and unbelievably scrumptious. So in this example, we have a complete sentence followed by a list that's describing what the sentence is talking about. So a colon is similar to a semicolon, except the second part after the colon does not need to be a full sentence. It can kind of be whatever you want. So the next punctuation mark we're going to talk about is a dash. So you may remember in the commas episode, I talked about how sometimes commas can be used to surround parts of the sentence that are non-essential, that are basically adding detail, but they could be removed from the sentence. Dashes do the same thing dashes surround a piece of the sentence that you could remove, and the rest of the sentence would still be okay. So in this example, it says, my neighbor's dog, a mangy little thing, nipped at my ankles as I rushed to the car. So if I removed that part of the sentence between the dashes, it would read, my neighbor's dog nipped at my ankles as I rushed to the car. And taking out that part of the sentence leaves the sentence still totally okay. So dashes are always used when you want to indicate that a piece of the sentence is unnecessary. It's adding detail, but it's not essential to the function of the sentence. So a word about dashes. Dashes usually come in pairs, but they can there can be one dash in a sentence. The case where that would happen would be if you had the extra stuff you're adding to the sentence at the very end. So that would mean you have your sentence, and then at the very end of the sentence you're adding a piece of information, So you'd have a dash before that extra information, but instead of closing that extra information off with another dash, you would just simply put a period, which kind of replaces the second dash. So dashes usually come in pairs, but there can be one. Okay, so those three, the semicolon, the colon, and the dash, they usually show up together in questions. So you'll usually see a question where you have four answer choices, and three of the four involve one each of these. And we'll look at a couple examples of that. The last punctuation mark, which we'll talk about, the last one that you might be tested on on the ACT, is the apostrophe. Apostrophes don't show up nearly as much as any of these other punctuation marks, but they could still show up, so it's important to know how they function. So with apostrophes, the major thing to know is where to put the apostrophe when you're talking about possessives. So in these examples, I have written the mayor's party and the mayor's party with one of them, the first one, having the apostrophe before the S and the second one having the apostrophe after the S. So if you ever put an apostrophe before the S, it means there's one person, one thing that's owning something. So in that top example, the mayor apostrophe S party, that means that one mayor is owning the party. In the second example, the mayor's party, there's several mayors that are owning this party. So there's a difference between those two and that's important to remember. The last thing related to an apostrophe is the difference between its and its. This is pretty common on the ACT, it shows up pretty often, so it's good to know. ITS with no apostrophe is a possessive. So its without an apostrophe, ITS, is possessive. An example using that kind of its would be, my dog is happy, its belly is full. So its is meaning the dog's belly whereas IT apostrophe S means it is. So anytime in a sentence you could say it is rather than its, it means you have the its with an apostrophe. An example of that is it's very cold outside. I could say that it is very cold outside and it would be okay. So that's a simple way to distinguish between it's without an apostrophe and it's with an apostrophe. Okay, so now that we've covered those, let's go look at a few examples. So go ahead and click on that 2018 ACT test link. We're going to look at question 17 first on the English section. It's on page 14, so just scroll down to that. Let me read this sentence to to start off. It says, To amass the staggering number of corks needed to construct the boat, 165,231 in all, Pollock convinced the staff of several restaurants in Washington, D.C. to donate discarded corks for his cause. Okay, so looking at the options B, C, and D, B has parentheses around that number, C is putting the number in all in dashes, and then D just has commas around the number. Let's look at these and see what each of these would mean. So B, parentheses, we didn't talk about those, they don't show up very often, but parentheses basically mean the stuff in the parentheses is not necessary. So you can just skip over it as you read. So if we read the sentence skipping over that, it says, to amass the staggering number of corks needed to construct the boat in all, Pollock convinced the staff of several restaurants. So that sounds weird. We can't just skip over that number and keep reading the sentence. So B is out. C is telling us that the number plus the words in all is a removable thing. So I'm going to read the sentence removing that and see if that sounds okay. To amass the staggering number of corks needed to construct the boat, Pollock convinced the staff of several restaurants in Washington, D.C. So that sounds really good to me. Skipping over that sounds good. It's also cleaner with the dashes than with the commas. If you'll notice D and A, no change. Both of those options have three commas and four words, which is kind of a lot. So the dashes help clean that up and make it look a little neater. The only difference then between C and A, besides the dashes, is this comma after staff. So we talked about this last time, but you don't want to put commas right before prepositional phrases. Of indicates the start of a prepositional phrase. So you don't want a comma there. So C is the best answer. That number in all phrase is a removable piece of the sentence that you can take out and the rest of the sentence reads totally fine. Okay, the next one we're gonna look at is number 51. Just scroll on down there. We'll see what's going on here. So 51 again gives us a few different punctuation options. A has parentheses and a colon, B has a dash, C has a semicolon, and D has a comma. So let's look at this sentence. It says, in fact, scientists in 1934 recorded a surface wind speed of 231 miles per hour, one of the fastest ever recorded. Okay, so we just barely talked about parentheses, meaning you can just remove that piece of the sentence. So if we do that, it would read, in fact, scientists in 1934 recorded a surface wind speed one of the fastest ever recorded. That's a little weird. We need that 231 miles per hour to tell us that it is a fast wind speed. Otherwise, we're kind of left without that detail, which isn't great. So we're not gonna choose A. B gives us a dash. So because there's only one dash in this sentence, that means that the removable part of the sentence is the very end, one of the fastest ever recorded. So I'm going to try and read the sentence without that and see if it's still okay. In fact, scientists in 1934 recorded a surface wind speed of 231 miles per hour. So that works. Having the dash there indicating that the last part of the sentence is removable works in this case. So B sounds pretty good, C adds a semicolon, which does not work because one of the fastest ever recorded is not a complete sentence. We would have to have a complete sentence before and after the semicolon. If we add that semicolon, the second part of the sentence is not a complete sentence by itself. And then D, putting two commas around of 231 miles per hour, again, we're surrounding a prepositional phrase here, of indicates a prepositional phrase, we're surrounding it with commas, which is something you don't want to do, you want to avoid that. So B is the best answer, it indicates that that last phrase is removable. And we're just going to look at one more example, problem 20. We're going to scroll back up. So 20 introduces us to a little bit of apostrophe stuff. I may have mentioned this before, but apostrophes show up maybe once on a test, maybe twice. So this sentence says, he calculated that it would have taken him and one other person more than a ten years' worth of eight-hour days to glue all the corks needed for the boat. Let's see what our options are. So the different options here are either giving you a then versus a than, and they're giving you different forms of the word years. So let's decide then versus than first. Then is a word that indicates sequence and time. Than is a word that indicates comparison. So in this case you're saying there's more than something. That's a comparison type thing, so we want the word than, which rules out F and J, leaving G and H. So then we just have to decide, should the apostrophe in years go before or after the S? And this is a simple question. Are we talking about multiple years, or are we talking about one year owning whatever it's owning? So it's kind of strange to think of a year as owning something, but in this case, we're talking about one year's worth of eight-hour days, and we're not talking about many years' worth of eight-hour days. So because there's only one year's worth of eight hour days, we're going to choose G because that shows there's just one year that has possession. So that's all for this episode. It should have been hopefully a lot easier stuff than the comma episode. These types of problems show up less often than commas, and they're typically a little bit easier to answer as well. So hopefully you're able to nail these with a little bit less practice and um, get a great score on these kinds of questions. I hope this episode has been helpful, and again, if you want to reach me, email 36actpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback and any success stories or anything that I can do to improve the podcast. Thanks.